Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so honored that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. Today, I am honored to be joined by returning guests to the podcast, Beth and Jeff McCord, to talk about their brand new book called More Than Your Number, A Christ-Centered Enneagram Approach to becoming aware of your internal world. Now, this isn't the first time that we've talked about the Enneagram here on the Learner's Corner. We've talked about it several times, including with Beth and Jeff before, about their previous book called Becoming Us, and that was a lot about relationships and how the Enneagram can work in marriages. And today we're going to continue to dig a little bit more into that topic. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner, I do want to tell you about a couple of things. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. You may be going throughout life and maybe you come across a subject and you start talking with somebody about it and you go, oh, uh, and and it evokes an intense response from them. And you go, oh, I'm not sure I can have this conversation with that person. But here, we want to engage in respectful dialogue that we could disagree and still be respectful to one another and still honor each other in that, even if we don't see eye to eye on everything. We believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely. We believe that we can learn from anything and from everything. And today we're learning from the Enneagram. And we do it all for this reason. Or at least this is my reason for doing it, which informs so much of what we do, is that we want to be the person who was there for us. Or maybe we want to be the mentor that we wish that we had, that someone else was there for us, that we wish that someone else was there for us. In order to do that, in order to be that person effectively, we have to deal with our stuff. We have to deal with our junk. We have to deal with our bleep. And learning about the Enneagram is how you do that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about it and give you a general uh, general view of it. However, I would recommend that you go back and listen to previous episodes to continue to learn more about it as well. Now, if you've been listening to the Learner's Corner podcast for a while and you want to continue to learn or you just want to keep up with really just, I guess, this this journey of Lerf, or Lerf, this lifelong learning. One of the best things that you can do is subscribe to my newsletter to where I tell you about all the things that I am thinking about, all of the things that I am learning about from podcasts to movies to events and histories from time to time to books and articles and music and really just everything that is coming across my path. And you can link to the show note or you you can look in the show notes for the link to my newsletter where you can subscribe and sign up very easily. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Beth and Jeff McCord, and then we will jump right into the conversation. So Beth and Jeff McCord are the founders of Your Enneagram Coach, a global community designed to be a safe place to explore the tool of the Enneagram from an approach that is well-studied, practically engaged, and deeply gospel-centered. Through their leadership of a vast network of coaches and followers, Beth and Jeff teach and guide individuals, couples, families, leaders, and organizations towards self-awareness and into the life-enhancing growth that only Christ can bring. Their mission is to help people see themselves with astonishing clarity so they can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom found in Christ. And they also have authored a previous book, which I mentioned before, and we will link to the show notes with the previous episode they have been on. The Enneagram has been extremely helpful for me in my own uh, personal and spiritual development, and I'm so looking forward to bringing this conversation to you. And without any well, further Beth wait, and Jeff, here it is go. so good to have you both back on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Yeah, thanks. It's great to see you, Caleb. Yeah, thanks for having us, Caleb. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, one of the questions that I would love to ask the both of you is that you spend a lot of time in the Enneagram learning about it. Um, and I would love to hear how do you both continue to to challenge and grow, even though you already know like a ton about the Enneagram? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I think good. it's mainly because we're really doing our own work. And so the new stuff that we are learning is an overflow of the things we need to work on. 
you know, like the ongoing stuff. So like our new book, uh, more than your number is really, it came, came out of a season of, um, going through some church hurt and challenges. And so we were doing our own kind of healing and grieving process. And out of that flowed a lot of what, what we're now presenting now, because not that it's a one and done fix it, but it definitely has helped us to heal and restore and kind of grow in ways that um, meant a lot to us. And I think in addition to that, so not only is it just our own story and understanding how the various connecting types show up in our life, but that one of the fascinating things is like, we, we really are fascinated by people. Yeah. And uh matter of fact, we, for our book launch party um, on September 20th, um, I put up a few images and we played a little meme game, but we broke up into Enneagram types. Yeah. And I, we was so fun to hear from their perspectives <laughs> on the same image. So there's part of it that to stay curious that we really, even though there are nine basic types, we talked, we use the illustration of it's like Sherwin Williams. There's a billion colors of blue. Yeah. And so you never know what you're going to get. It's like a, you know, what Forrest Gump, it's like a box of chocolate. Yeah. You, never, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to go back to what you had mentioned, Beth, of that some of this, uh, some of this new book was out of church hurt, which is something that is talked a lot about yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as you're comfortable, you know, I'd love for you to share and even just talk about like, I'd be curious to hear how does, how does hurt show up mm. in some of the Enneagram types as well? well. Why don't you share the story and then I can maybe jump in on the Enneagram types. Yeah. So I had been a pastor and that's why uh, Beth was re- re- kind of pinged it over, punted it over to me because it, so we had moved to Nashville uh, to take on, and I was taking on an executive pastor role. Um, and then, but quickly realized that this, this wasn't going to be a healthy situation. So mm-hmm. after one year we had, our son was in a freshman in high school. Our daughter was in seventh grade, just starting middle school. And we stepped down after a little over a year, year and a half was about. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know what to do. And we were, we were just devastated. We just had no clue. We had no community. Um, and so it, it was during that season with our backs to the wall, like, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sense of betrayal. So I'm dealing with my own pain and disillusionment um, and all the dynamics. Cause it, it happened over a six to eight month period. Well, that put our whole family influx. And so I was uh, going to therapy Mm -hmm. and trying to help understand what's happened and what does this mean about moving forward. And it was during that time that Beth was seeing the pain that was happening in my life, but also Mm -hmm. feeling the fear of what was happening in hers. So it, yeah. yeah, What you speak? Well, I mean, you know, so Jeff, you know, didn't have a job at that point and I was Mm -hmm. working part-time and not a part-time job that was making a lot of money. So there was a lot of fear of, what does this mean? And then again, we wanted to stay we, local because our kids, we just moved them they were there. Just getting traction relationally. So there's a lot of fear about moving. And being a pastor in a particular denomination, it's not like you have a ton of choices out there to get a job. So that made it challenging. So there was just a lot of fear and hurt and pain coming out of that, but also where are we going with this? Um, that you know, for me, so I'm an Enneagram type nine. I was definitely residing in my six part a lot, you know, just a lot of Mm -hmm. fear thinking through all the worst case scenarios. Um, and so I knew, I knew that 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 was happening, but what do I do with it? Like how, how do I grieve in a better way? How do I process this in a better way? What does it look like to grow? And that's when Jeff started seeing that counselor who introduced him to internal family systems, which is a therapeutic modality. It's very, very helpful. Um, and Jeff's a type six. So type sixes have an inner committee and they're very, uh, I mean, when, once they're aware of it, they're like, oh yeah. And so IFS talks about how we have different parts in us. Like a part of me feels like this, but a part of me feels like that or so on and so forth. And it's a lot more complex than that, but Jeff was yeah. able to to nuance these parts easily. Whereas me as a type nine, who knows ourselves the least, there's this internal fog. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand this, you know, like, um, but it was when I thought, well, what if I paired it with the Enneagram? Cause that's what I'm used to. That's what I'm familiar with. 
And when I thought, I wonder if my two wings and my two Enneagram paths, the lines that I'm connected to those types, I wonder if those are parts of me. And that's when it all came together. That's when it all made sense. And that was in 2016 that we really started, or at least for me, utilizing IFS from that vantage point. But what we found out later is that the way I use it is not IFS at all. And so it's its own unique thing, but um, it's very valuable. So we always want people to know like, Hey, IFS is really valuable. And if you're seeing a counselor and they utilize that, that is great. Um, but for a lot of people, this is like that either a first step or the only step they really need to take. And it really helps you to understand what's going on internally. And Caleb, you mentioned something earlier as it relates to Enneagram type. So, mm-hmm. and, and we believe this to be true, but this is a little bit of theory. Um, but I know that for me, so I carried a message and a way of relating, um, as a type six into being a pastor. So as an executive pastor, I wanted to do it in a very sexy way. Okay. (laughs) And so that was going to be a lot of relationships, a lot of loyalty, a lot of getting consult from a lot of different people. But what happens when we face unhealthiness or, um, sinfulness in the church, we when we face evil, is that no matter what strategies we have developed since childhood to cope with our, the sinfulness in the world, what happens when they don't work? Well, then each Enneagram type has a way of interpreting the world. And so I interpreted things. Well, if I could be more faithful, if I could be more trustworthy, if I could work harder, then all of this is going to go away. And it didn't. And then I also have coping mechanisms, a pattern of coping Mm -hmm. with the fallenness and sinfulness of our world. And so for me, uh, that meant moving to the type nine. Uh, I call that part of my heart, Phil, because Phil Mm -hmm. fills, numbs, and blinds my hearts whenever I face betrayal or pain. And so during that time, I remember saying to Beth quite often, like, I I feel like a nine. Mm -hmm. I'm totally numb. I'd lost a sense of direction. I, I played all my cards mm. and it didn't prevent pain. And now all of a sudden I'm doing a very sixth thing where I'm actually starting to kind of check out from life. And I remember during those seasons where it might be a day or two where I would get very isolated. I would get very quiet, uh, which it, it was a, a lot of depression and melancholy. And she would call up friends like, Hey, Jeff's really struggling mm. today. And I believe that to be true uh, regarding the dynamics for each Enneagram type. So they probably have used the strengths of their types to prevent the pain from happening. But in facing the betrayal, it oftentimes proves the negative message. They interpret it as proving the negative message about themselves and then rely on the coping mechanisms that are consistent with that type in order to uh, resolve the pain. Uh, but here's the good news about it is that the, the that the gospel's true and that the, you know, I, there's a great phrase um, that I remember from Jerry Bridges saying that you're never so good that you're beyond the need for God's grace and you're never so bad that you're beyond its reach. Mm-hmm. And God meets us in these moments and it's in those really meaningful, dark moments that we experience the grace of God and come to understand something about the gospel that's much bigger and much more assuring than all of the strategies of our Enneagram type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you guys kind of tease out what some of those messages are for each type and even maybe what um, a coping strategy can look like for each type too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're about the- to see Beth's genius. Like you just set her up like to hit a grand slam. <laughs> He's going to walk the wheel yeah. and read our hearts. Enneagram Yoda over here. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So for the type one, they have this common, uh, message, this false message that it's not okay to make mistakes. Now Mm -hmm. their defensive mechanism is going to be called reaction formation. So for them, they want to be good and perfect and right. So what you'll see from them in this defensive reaction or defensive mechanism is instead of exhibiting, let's say they feel envy of what someone else has done, um, they will in, in exhibiting that envy, they'll actually change it and actually 
give even more affirmation or like, that's great. Or so they'll come out with something completely different because to them, it's so important to be good and to be right and to be perfect and moral. Um, and, and they not even necessarily aware of it until obviously we talk about it and they're like, Oh, I do do that. You know, and, and what it, the way I see it is that, uh, ones will double down on being right and being good. Mm-hmm. They may address that in themselves of maybe if I can improve myself or try to improve the community or the leaders by confronting them. But actually it ends up because of just the unhealthiness of the organization, the more that they seek that, the more trouble it actually ends up causing uh, for themselves and for others. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that it's the one's fault. I'm just saying that's the tendency when something's not right, I want to make it right. Mm -hmm. But in unhealthy situations, the organizations don't want to get it right. Sure. Yeah. Um, so then the type twos, uh, the nurturing supporters, they, um, they have the false message narrative, the soundtrack in their mind that, um, it's not okay to have my own needs or my own feelings. And so for them, they're they'll, what they'll do is their defensive mechanism is repression and they actually repress their own feelings and needs from themselves. Like they're, they won't even allow themselves to see it, let alone someone else. Mm. And they're just fixated on other people's needs and, and trying to come through because if they can come through, maybe they'll be loved and accepted, uh, versus being rejected. And so that's a defensive mechanism that they have. And they'll, they'll try to rescue people. Mm -hmm. Um, and in doing so oftentimes will burn themselves out, but really that trying to rescue people is trying to live out, trying to find their own value on their own sense of, um, of worth through serving other people. And it actually ends up harming themselves. Right. Yeah. So then the type threes, we'll get into your neck of the woods here. Yeah. Uh, the admirable achievers, um, they feel that it's not okay to have their own feelings and identity. So what you'll see from them is their defensive mechanism is called, um, identification where what they do is they will identify a person or persona, um, that they admire and that they feel others will admire in them. And then they literally take on those same attributes. So it's kind of like cloning yourself, you know, like, let's say you think your, your dad is the greatest person ever. And he's so admirable. You start taking on those tendencies, or maybe it's your boss or a, a movie star, you know, it could be anyone, but what is it that they can mirror and emulate so that others admire them as well. And so for them, mm-hmm. they just don't feel like, well, I can't be my true and authentic self because if I am, no one's going to really want that. That's not admirable. Does it sound true for you? Oh yeah. S- so much. And just the whole, like wanting other people to like me and just giving and it, the, the biggest way that I've, I've noticed recently that it shows up for me is how much I care about what strangers literally think of me. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and then the trap is, well, how do I even know what they really think? Right. Well, it, and, and, yeah. and abusive leaderships will take advantage of yes. that. And so we'll kind of string them on and you, what does it look like to for a three in order to be healthy, have to face failure. Mm. There will never be enough that you'll be able to do to come through for this leader. Right. And so they've, they face their greatest fear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So for the type four is the introspective individual individualist, their common thought. Um, why did it just slip my brain? It's In common thought about themselves. Oh yeah. It's not okay to be, uh, it's not okay to be too much and not enough. So they struggle with the defensive mechanism of interjection. So usually what happens with interjection for the type four is they live mainly in their um, emotions and almost the fantasy of emotions, right? So they, they're they almost thinking that something is actually happening because they can almost like conceptualize and visualize it, but it's maybe not happening and their emotions get swept up into that. And so when someone talks to them, what usually happens is even if the person's like, oh my gosh, your hair, new hairstyle is so amazing. They'll actually take it and it kind of spins on its head and it kind of goes inward from a more negative standpoint. Like, well, did my hair not look good before? Like, it, was there something wrong with me? Like, why am I defective and flawed? Or, And so it, it goes inward in a much more negative way. And that can be really hard emotionally for them to navigate through. Um, the type fives are the analytical investigators and they have the false message, um, that it's not okay to have my own needs. 
And so for, or no, I'm sorry. It's, it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. That was something else. Mm-hmm. Um, now for them, what that means is for them to be comfortable in the world, they need a lot of space and time alone to process and think through their feelings. And mostly society doesn't appreciate that. They don't appreciate that, that level of isolation or detachment. And so what happens for them is they get into the defensive mechanism of isolation. So when people sense this from them, they want to move in to their world. Well, that's the last thing they're wanting. They don't want intrusion, surprises, obligations placed on them. So when others come towards them and it's too much, they will actually withdraw and retreat and isolate even Mm. more. Yeah. And and that's what I saw uh, in this particular, because there was another person who was a five on staff. They increasingly became isolated. Like they didn't want to participate in all of the confrontation or the conflict that was happening. And so just the day-to-day banter back and forth. That's right. And so they, what, what they end up interpreting as like, I need to disengage from them because I can't change it. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything to actually change how the, how I'm feeling in this context. So they remove their presence. And when they, when they did that, because they actually took an office outside of the office suite area. So they took Mm -hmm. it further away. The other employees really kind of didn't like that. That didn't feel it was right. Super sad. The more that this person would isolate, the more the team thought that they were being disloyal when uh, no, actually they were trying to provide space for themselves. So they be could to... be engaged more than That's usual. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. So like as Jeff was navigating that with the other team and they could, he could ask rightly questions from that type five and the team, they could show hey, here's actually the dynamics that are going on. And so we want to get past the natural false messages and defensive mechanisms and get to the heart of what's going on. Okay, so we'll get into Jeff's neck of the woods, the faithful guardians type sixes. And their thought, um, false narrative is, it's not okay to trust myself. Um, And they go into the defensive mechanism of projection. Now this can be projecting even positive things or negative things um, onto people, but it's usually what's going on in their own world. And I would say it's Mm -hmm. probably ends up being a little bit more on the negative side. Um, and so they get very suspicious and worried and rudimating on a lot of things, but it's actually the very things that they're actually dealing with internally, but that they're not able to see or taking the time to recognize. And for me, that self-doubt was, uh, I, I really thought I must be wrong. So in facing mm-hmm. the betrayal, it was in, in some ways that mm-hmm. self-doubt was used, like, this is your problem. This isn't mine. Sure. And f- in my six heart, like, yeah, you're probably right. And, uh, but I would try to make sense of it, try to make sense of it. And even, you know, it sh- shows up for me now and it's yeah. been a number of years uh, since that situation. Yeah. And I still like, maybe it was my fault. Right. Uh, Cause the six is they want it to be their fault because it feels well, like they take on so control. much responsibility. And if someone is literally saying it to you, it's like, well, they must know because I can't trust myself because that's the narrative. Mm -hmm. I can't trust myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it can really just perpetuate the problem and get Mm -hmm. you deeper and deeper in it. Um, So then our type sevens are the enthusiastic optimist and they have the narrative. It's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. So they have this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with stimulation and excitement, but it's like this never ending, you know, need. It just never, like you could fill it up and it just, keeps, you know, going. So what they have is their defensive mechanism is, uh, reframing or rationalization. So they'll reframe everything into a positive. Oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Like, we'll just do this. We'll just do that. And that helps them to not feel trapped in this state of absolute in, in, uh, intense hunger for stimulation and excitement. Um, do you have any? So, I mean, what that happens is that they'll start reframing the situation of the dysfunction of the church, or they'll reframe that, right. that it's not as bad as right. people think. Right. Now, sevens can also move to one, and so they can actually become very dogmatic yep. uh, and very confrontational. So there's a number of different ways that sevens can react in this situation, mm-hmm. but in, in the end, they, they really want to be able to continue to function. And so they try to reframe so they don't get uh, stuck in the powerlessness that comes sure. in church hurt. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry about that. Um, so then the type eights are the passionate protectors and they have the narrative, the false narrative in their mind that it's not okay to trust anyone. So like the sixes we talked about, it's not okay to trust myself. This is the opposite. It's not okay to trust anyone. 
Um, and so their defensive mechanism is denial. And so what usually happens is eights, we call them the snow plows, like a big diesel snow plow. And when they're healthy, they are getting people behind them and they're plowing a path for others, which is amazing. But when they're not in a healthy space, they can actually start plowing over people. And when that happens, a lot of times unbeknownst to them, really, they, they don't realize how intense they are, how big of a diesel truck they are, um, and how it's affecting those around them. When others reflect back to them, how their thoughts or behaviors or whatever's going on is negatively affecting them, they'll deny it. Now that mm. really comes across strange to a lot of people because AIDS, especially AIDS are like, no, I am honest. And it's like, yeah, you actually are one of the most authentic and honest people. You say what's on your mind, but this defensive mechanism of denial actually keeps them from seeing some of the things that they actually do. And it's a way of protecting themselves. So it can really kind of uh, shock people. And especially then when people say you're lying, whoa, that is not what an eight wants to hear whatsoever. And, and, and as it relates to the church, whenever facing betrayal in the church, the, the eights have to come to honest reality to accept the fact that it, it is painful. Yeah. Um, but to get stronger is actually the equal but opposite way of healing, yeah. of to becoming more independent, more isolated, stronger, more self-resilient, -resi self-reliant is actually the opposite way, but there, it's such a temptation for them. Yeah. Hmm. And the last but not least are my types, the type nine, the peaceful accommodators. And um, for us, the false narrative is it's not okay to assert yourself. You know, we think that if we assert our voice or our presence or our likes, dislikes, whatever it is, we think it's going to disrupt something or upset someone, create havoc and tension. So we just want to shut ourselves down. So what we do, our defensive mechanism is called narcotization or disassociation. So narcotization, meaning kind of falling asleep to yourself. And if we're able to numb out, check out, ignore ourselves and our desires, it makes it a lot easier just to go along, to get along, to merge with others. Um, now, like we've talked about all these things, all of these defensive mechanisms are actually self-sabotage. So by me not voicing what I need or knowing what it is I want, um, actually creates the very, uh, dynamics and troubles and conflicts that I'm trying to avoid. And same with all the other types. I, re I remember that season, whenever you would speak up on what I was experiencing, what you as uh, my wife was seeing in the church mm -hmm. uh, in leadership. And I, I mean, it's, it's tough because it wasn't necessarily changing anything. Right. It was falling on deaf ears, mm -hmm. which for many nines is like, see, they don't listen. Why do I even try? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause like, I remember us mentioning stuff and the one person in the church that had the ability to do something about it. And he actually kind of agreed, but he, he said, well, but this is like a million dollar, you know, business. I don't know if he used the word business, but no. we're, and this pastor's, you know, going to be probably retiring soon. So we're, we're just not going to do anything. And so here I voiced something and it actually was agreed upon, but we're not going to move in any direction to help solve this situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just felt like, ugh. and, and then and there was one other time I actually pushed back on that particular person and they then pushed back even harder and got really angry. And as a nine, that just really shut me down. Like there is mm -hmm. no one to ask for help. We are now on our own. Mm. One of the things that just came to mind, just as you were talking about is I'm sure like for, you know, for the people who are listening, like I'm thinking of people who are like, oh yeah, like I, I know they're defensive you know, mechanism, their coping mm, sure. skills. How do you talk to someone who is, who is experiencing that defensiveness or that, that coping, they're, they're, they're exhibiting their coping skills. Yeah. Like, is it um, like just a standard thing or is it more like, um, and I know that a little bit of is, is an individualized thing, but I would just love sure. your guys's take and help take, on that. Take the one with the type five in the church and how you really did navigate that. Yeah. Well, number one, it, it's kindness uh, is the virtue here. That's what we really want to focus on. Uh, matter of fact, Paul, Paul even talks about it. He says that it's kindness that leads us to repentance. So um, number one is to simply ask the question, uh, how, where are you and how are you? It's the questions that God asked uh, Adam and Eve and Hagar, like, where, where are you right now in this moment? And just to see from their perspective what they're experiencing and uh, what they're inclined to do, but to do so with safety, that I I am not going to judge you as you are seeking, as you are experiencing this pain, 
and you are trying to cope with it. Hmm. Uh, number two is, and which is extending grace to them, which is number two. And then number three, it, it is, it's the attunement questions is that one, I hear you. Number one, I see your pain. And number three, is there anything that I can do to help you? Mm-hmm. So it's not saying I'm going to do this for you, but it's inviting them that if they want my help, I am available to them to help them. It's not telling them what to do. It's not spiritually bypassing their situation, but simply saying I am present and I am attuned to you and I am willing to walk alongside you uh, as you seek care and recovery through this. Mm-hmm. I love your thoughts on because like I, I know myself a little bit mm-hmm. in this too for like threes, sevens and eights. You know, sometimes we can be very drive focused, yep. oh, sure. very fast focused. Yep. In yep. that. And um it's hard for us to even acknowledge mm-hmm. like like even answer the questions that you're talking about, Jeff, yes. because we are so go, 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 fast, fast, fast. How do you how do you deal with that? Mm. Well, <laughs> you know, for me, I mean, it, you know, this is I, I, I loved it uh, in my recovery work. I, I've attended adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional family meetings. It's a 12 step program and have been attending it for like eight years now. But um, mm-hmm. they, they make the, they have this great line in there is that ACA is for people who want it not people who need it. And what they're trying to say is that you can't force people into recovery. Um, But what you can do is just ask great questions that kind of catch people. So Mm -hmm. uh, if if you notice like a type three has just experienced that, you know, is incredibly painful and betraying. And then the next day they're like, here's my to-do list. Here's 10 things that I want to get done today to simply ask the question, Hey, help me understand. Like you faced a lot yesterday. Um, but why I would have anticipated you to be sad. What, why are you so busy now? Hmm. So it's not only what you are running from, but what are you running towards? It's trying to resolve what sadness you or uh, sorrow you may have just experienced. Hmm. But it's going to have the people are going to have to wake up to their own hearts. And that's why the Enneagram is so helpful is I mean, I knew that for me as a six, it was understandable why I was moving towards nine in a very sorrowful situation. And for the three to understand that, hey, I, I can go choose to check out and threes become very lethargic, uh, which is something that many people might not see in a three. And at the same time, they can become more frenetic, like an unhealthy six mm-hmm. and try to get busy and try to be successful to overcome the pain that they're actually experiencing in their heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something that you mentioned towards the beginning and you, you talk about it all throughout uh, the book is naming as well of learning to name the different parts. I yeah. mean, can you kind of tease out that, that subject? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, it first originated for us, uh, we had read Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. And in that book, he had gone on a spiritual retreat Mm -hmm. and he wrote a letter to his false self. And I thought, wow, how interesting is that to be able to identify this part of who he was? He called him the imposter. Uh, That's right. It was a negative name and it wasn't a very pastoral letter to this part of him. (laughs) But he also had a playful kindness kind of sarcasm with this part of him. And that really was the inspiration to being able to identify quickly by naming these parts. Uh, Beth, why don't you elaborate? Would you elaborate any more on that? Yeah. You know, I, I, it's been really helpful, I think for us and you don't have to name them actual names. You can like, like we have, um, but it could be like, if you're into the Enneagram and you use EIP, which is what our book is based on Enneagram internal profile. You can use just, you know, my type three part, my type six part, you know, cause those are the ones that are connected to me and my type for me, my type mm-hmm. one and my type eight, those are the four connecting parts that I have. I could easily just name them that way, but we went a step further and, um, made, I made names for my, um, connecting parts that made sense to me, both negative and positive. So they both have a negative and a positive name because if they're misaligned, they're wreaking havoc. And when they're aligned, they really are a gift. And so like for my type eight part, which is the type eights again, are the passionate protectors. 
Well, I call her Raging Regina when she's not doing well. And then Remarkable Regina when she's doing well. Like when a snowplow is plowing a path of this, you know, thick snow, a shovel's not going to work. Even a Ford pickup truck's not going to work. So I really admire this part of me that comes in and gives me passion and intensity and drive that the nine doesn't usually have just within themselves. You know, we struggle as nines mm -hmm. with inertia. So she's really, really remarkable. But when she's not happy, she can explode like a volcano and she's raging Regina. Now, of course, it doesn't look like a full on eight because I'm still a nine with, you know, its core motivations, but it definitely comes out sideways in ways that are not really pleasant, usually towards like my family. I don't probably show this mm -hmm. to everyone else, but it's helpful to just name it so that like sometimes Jeff, you know, he'll just even say, so is Regina here? You know, like, who am I talking to right now? <laughs> like talking to Regina. And then they're usually like, dang it, he caught us, you know? Um, but no, it's helpful because these parts of us want us to be attuned to them. They want to be seen, heard, mm -hmm. and cared for. And if they're misaligned, there's something they feel that is missing that needs attunement and care. And so we need to, to awaken to what's going on and to welcome, to befriend these parts and to see what it is, what it is they're needing. They're like little kids. They're in a temper tantrum. Well, mm -hmm. you know, all my life I've tried to shove, shove them aside and ignore them or put them down. But what would it look like if you actually attuned to them? And it's not that you actually go with whatever they're saying, but if you reflect back to them, oh, is this what you're needing? Okay. Well, from this mature, beloved part of my heart, actually, let me lead you into a better way. This I mean, is what we need. Think about it, how David applies these principles of uh, leading his own interior world, I, that I, he's learned to calm his soul, that he um, asks questions of himself, why so downcast. But what if that, what, we could even get more particular in those kinds of principles when we say like, what part of me feels downcast right now? What part of me, maybe even at the same time, feels hopeful, even yeah. though I may be facing a difficult situation right. and courageous. because we're both and, mm -hmm. and to be able to give name to it, whatever category you want to use of naming, it's not, it doesn't have to be a person's name, right. um, but it's a way of identifying that this is a valid part of my heart and that I have the opportunity to apply the truth of the gospel to it. Yeah. And I have the ability to lead it or to guide it or to coach it, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, these parts really don't want to have to lead. Um, we always bring it back to the analogy of driving a bus. These are younger parts of our heart. And you don't want to like an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old driving a big old bus. Like it's going to be all over the place and end yeah. up in a ditch. And they don't want to either. They're scared out of their minds, but something, someone's got to take the wheel. And so when that more mature, wise part of our heart, the beloved part is able to understand what's going on and take over, everyone else can calm down and feel well led. Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, um, just kind of tease out you and you briefly mentioned like the wake model that, mm -hmm. that you talk about. I'd love to kind of drill down on each of those yeah. a little bit. And so I would love to just talk about a, a team and I want to run by something that I was just thinking about while you were talking about. I can imagine that for, again, threes, sevens, and eights, I would imagine, and maybe this is just my bias in it, we really struggle with it. We can struggle with attunement oh, sure. because, yeah. again, we're just moving so fast. Um, we don't have time like, for yeah, that. Just... And, and Caleb, to, to actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, to broaden that out a little bit, you're on to something, is that we don't want to be aware. And so each yeah. type according to the tendencies of that type have different ways of yes. living in denial. Yeah. Like as a nine, I so might even a four. I mean, just think about it. the most self-reflective type on the Enneagram probably yeah. Yeah. actually fixate more on what they're feeling and the intensity of the feeling than what's versus really... actually what's really happening inside of them or what's happening outside of them. Yes. For, like in reality. Yeah. And for me as a nine, yeah. I might be much slower at thought and pace than you and want that pace, but that actually, instead of what you guys do is go into this uh, assertive, aggressive go-getter yeah. stance. I'm in the, I think I'm going to check out and I'm going to numb out and I'm going to like disassociate, you know, and we're just not going to think about yeah, anything. Six is uh, like mine. I will ruminate on anything, but the real thing. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Hey, quote that. I want to put that on Twitter. That's a tweet right there. Or, or yeah. put it on a shirt. 
I want a shirt. Yeah. I don't want that shirt. I want to get one of It's other sixes, not me. Right, right. right. Well, why don't you walk through AWARE yeah. for everybody? Yeah. So uh, AWARE is the acronym that we use to really help us to grow, to be in the moment, any moment. And so A is awaken. We want to awaken to our thoughts, feelings, body sensations, and our inclinations. Um, and that's really important because so often we are unaware of what's going on. Um, and so that's really an important first step. And then we want to welcome, welcome what's actually happening. Um, and instead of shaming or belittling or condemning or criticizing ourselves, how can we welcome these parts and, and truly listen to what they're needing and wanting? And then we want to ask, you know, we want to ask for guidance and truth. Uh, so like what we would do as a Christian is ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what is true? Mm -hmm. uh, look in scripture, ask good counsel of those that are around us. And then R, we want to receive that truth. And we want that truth to, to penetrate our heart and to go in our mind and to then renew our mind. And then with that, the last uh, letter is E, which is engage, engage with life and relationships in a brand new way based off of the truth that you've received um, so that you can, you know, enjoy life in a way that's thriving, not only just for yourself, but for others. Yeah. Talk to me. Let's dig down a little bit, like on the welcoming piece, because again, for some of us, like we've had things that have happened to us that have made us into the person that we are today. And yes. it's like, I I don't want to go back there, Jeff. You don't want to think about yeah. that thing. Yeah. What have you What have you learned that? Because um, it can't. It's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to accept no. those things. But what have you learned that that can help us mm -hmm. with that? Well, a few things come to mind. There, I don't. I I would. I can't be able. I can't quote it. Um, I can't remember if we actually put that in the book or not. But there are a couple different quotes that that number one. Um, to, for us to be able to address these parts of our hearts, if we don't, they will come out sideways. Mm -hmm. So if I am not addressing the pivotal stories in my life, I am going to work out the pain and coping mechanisms of that tragedy in my adulthood. And so until I give attention to it and comprehend it, I'm not going to be able to relate to people with the kind of freedom, the faith, hope, and love that mm -hmm. Jesus calls us to. Um, and so I, I can't remember the name of the author. I'm forgetting it right now, but they talk about whenever I have come to understand and organize the interior of my world, it becomes a place of peace mm -hmm. that also becomes hospitable for others to come and dwell in. Really? Uh, that's right. It's a roomy. Um, it's the guest house. The guest house. That's right. That's the poem. And and the idea of that is that until I can get a handle on my inner critic, my inner critic is going to show up towards me and towards you. Mm -hmm. But whenever I develop the kind of redemptive relationship to this part of me, that no longer is it an inner critic, but it's a part of discernment. It's mm -hmm. a part that seeks after truth and justice. And I have a right relationship with it. Now it's under the spirit's leadership. So it's no longer a fleshly expression. It's a much more spiritual um, expression that's a gift to other people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It even just make like a couple of other numbers are coming to mind. And I'd just love your thoughts on it mm -hmm. too, because it even makes me think of like for the two, like until I deal with my, my baggage yeah. of it, I'm probably just going to help anybody and everybody. Yeah, yeah. And by doing that, I might forsake helping the people who are closest to me. Right. 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 Oh, that's exactly me. it, Caleb. Absolutely. So if, mm. if a two is still fearing that, that it's true, that they are rejected, that they're not worthy of love, mm -hmm. they will continue to serve in order to prove that they are loved. But by doing that, they actually put a lot of pressure on other people to tell them that they're loved and the two will never even believe it when it's true. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's just, all of it is self-sabotage. And so yeah. even though we all don't want to go to those hard places and to see our pain and to deal with our pain, it is the very thing that is going to help us to to really thrive and grow. And no matter what we do, um, 
we're, we're either going to perpetuate these same dynamics that are a problem in the way that's unhealthy or, and that, that's going to be hard, right? Or we can choose the path of health and that's hard too, because that's growth and all mm -hmm. growth is hard. So what does it look like then to recognize, you know what, do I want to stay on the path of kind of self-sabotage and ignoring the real thing that's going on? Or do I want to enter this area that actually brings growth? And so, uh, Joseph Campbell has the quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And so what we have to recognize is, yeah, this is really, really scary, but so much good is on the other side. So much more life and abundance and joy and peace and rest and all the things that we can, um, really learn from and glean from and enjoy is, is there now, of course we're on the side of heaven. So it's, it's not like a one and done, but, but to, to walk this path, that's much harder also gives us the beauty along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a great perspective shift too, because we tell ourselves that we're going to avoid the pain mm -hmm. by not dealing with it. Yep. And you're right. It's like, it's coming out. Yeah. at some point yeah <laughs> and if you don't deal with it it's coming out at just yeah. any old point at times exactly that's right. that's yeah exactly right yeah uh, well i got uh, one or two more things that i want to ask you about but yeah. before that is there anything that we haven't talked about you know about the book or just anything top of mind relating to the conversation that you want to make sure that we cover yeah one of the ways in which how we use eip and how these parts of us show up so if you just think of if you know your enneagram type you know that you're connected to the two numbers next to yours, which we typically call wings. And then there are the two paths, those lines. Now, the all of those parts can show up healthy or unhealthy, aligned or mm -hmm. misaligned, depending upon where our heart is at in relation to the truth of the gospel. So in the book, what, the way that we talk about that is the difference between living as beloved or living as wounded. Wounded being the part of us the younger parts of us that have experienced the tragedy and trauma of living in a fallen and sinful world. And it carries the stories of pain and the strategies of self-protection. So that pain will not happen again. Well, when we are living out of woundedness, that means that both of our wings and paths can show up in unhealthy ways, strategies to protect us from pain. Whereas beloved, that is the spirit-filled self, the new self, the new creation that the New Testament talks about, where the spirit of, of God dwells within us. Um, when we are living in beloved in line with the truth of the gospel, that means that these parts will fall in line. So parts of us that maybe we were ashamed of because they've been harmful or unhealthy for us in the past actually become gifts to us in not only a service to ourselves and caring for ourselves, but in service to others. Mm -hmm. And the key thing there is that it, they can be, all of those connecting parts can be healthy and unhealthy. Uh, and uh, we're connected to all of them. So we're really not just a six with a wing. We're actually a six with both wings and both paths. And these are all part of us that really need our help and guidance and leadership in order to be, uh, to begin to experience who God created us to be. Yeah. Yeah. And Beth, do you want to kind of tease out what that beloved child message can look like for each type? Absolutely. Yeah. So for the type one, they long to hear that you are good and, you know, on Christ has not only removed their sins, but he has placed his righteousness on them. So when God sees them, he sees you are good based on Christ. And then the type two longs to hear that you're uh, wanted and loved. And there's no better way to demonstrate that than what Christ has done on our behalf. Like he literally pursues us. You are not rejected. You are absolutely uh, brought near. The type three, uh, they long to hear that you are simple, you're love for simply being you. The threes are always thinking that they have to uh, accomplish and achieve, you know, to get love and worth and value, but he is our accomplishment. He's the one who achieved all that need to, to be achieved and given it to us. So what the threes can do is go, you mean I have the status that I'm looking for. I can just be me and loved like, yeah. Um, the type fours, they long to hear that you are seen, loved and understood for simply being you special and unique. And God says, 
I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know you better than you know yourself. And I delight in how I created you. You are known and loved. The type fives long to hear um, that your needs are not a problem. And we know that he is the God of the universe. And not only can he do all of that, but he delights in giving, restoring, replenishing all that the fives need. Um, and the type sixes, they long to hear you are safe and secure. Now on this side of heaven, yeah, we don't know from day to day, moment to moment, what's really going to happen, but we do know that we are eternally safe in his care because he accomplished all that needed to be accomplished on our behalf. Um, and the type sevens, they long to hear you will be taken care of. They forever think they're the only ones that can satisfy this internal insatiable desire, but they can't and nothing on earth can, but Christ is the spring of living water and they can have as much as their heart delights. The type eight longs to hear, um, that you will not be betrayed. And the great news is that Christ was the most betrayed. He understands what that feels like. And he says he will not betray nor forsake you. In fact, he is the one that plowed the path for all of us. And then the nines long to hear that your presence matters. There's no greater way to demonstrate your presence matters than to have the God of the universe leave his throne to be born, to live a perfect life, to die, to be buried and to rise again, all in pursuit of bringing you back into right relationship with him because he loves you. So those are the messages that bring the transformation we all long for because it's what we long for is already satisfied. It's not based on what we need to do or what we can find. It's based on what he has already done for us. Thank you. Uh, the last thing I want to ask the both of you is what is something that is currently challenging you about the Enneagram? Mm. Our own wow. work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, I Jeff mean, always, understanding. Jeff will say, tell him the, the line about uh, Men's Warehouse. I always forget it, but he was. I don't think I know. Or, oh, yeah. I'm not only, it's not Men's Warehouse. Oh, it's. It's hair club, for oh, men, hair club for men that not, not only am I the president, but I'm also a client. Like, <laughs> like there's nothing, this isn't a book that we wrote as philosophers trying to present a theory. This is actually our story. This yeah. is what we, mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I, I talked about what happened. Oh, I, I, I talked about it at lunch today. I'm sure you've talked about it in your meetings. Yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact, I, we, I met, we have a small group of our team members who have been pastors before. And, uh, we were talking about thinking about inside out, not inside out, uh, toy story and mm -hmm. that all of these toys and all of their personalities were in the imagination of Andy. So each of those toys represented a part of him. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, well, oh, okay, hold on, hold on. Does that, so there's a part of all of us in all of this. So I, we continue to learn with curiosity, but also that comes with fear and mm -hmm. concern. Like, is, th th is this part of me ever going to change? Yeah, it's hard. You know, like, yeah. So the last year I've been kind of dealing with uh, past trauma as well. And mm -hmm. every day, this is like a daily work of, how does my wounded child, I call her little Bethy, how, how is she seeing the world and reacting to it in ways that get me misaligned? And how does coach Beth, my beloved part of my heart, how can she continually bringing the truth back into her so that she can stop driving the bus, let coach Beth drive the bus and allow us to enjoy the blessings that we have in what Christ has already done. Um, and that's just really hard work. It's not always fun. But when we go there, it is rewarding. It is interesting. People talk about wanting to go deeper with the Enneagram. And, and there's all kinds of different layers with all the various stances and triads and all those different things. But man, if you just stay with the core motivations and ask mm -hmm. yourself, how is this showing up today in healthy and unhealthy ways? Like that's going to get you a long way down the long road. Way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, I know that people are going to want to keep up with the both of you and get the book more than your number. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Yeah. So yourenneagramcoach.com has pretty much all of the resources that we um, have to offer. The handle pretty much on Instagram and Facebook is your Enneagram coach. Um, and then the book is sold wherever you love to buy books. So it makes it pretty easy. And then we do have a podcast, uh, your Enneagram coach, the podcast where we talk a lot about EIP, which is 
uh, based on the book, Modern Number. The reason why we're talking about Toy Story is because we're going to do a series on, uh, I guess, both Animation. Pixar and Disney shows on uh, the Enneagram, Enneagram and how they show up in yeah. various uh, animated shows. This could be super fun. Oh, I love that. I can't, I can't wait to, to yeah. hear, yeah. hear more yeah. about it. Uh, well, awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast today. And just yeah, thank you so happens. much just for doing the work and for sharing it with us. Mm, thank well, you Kayla, so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. I think coming out of that conversation, there's two things that I've been thinking about quite a bit. The first thing is just this idea of naming the different parts of us that we experience through the stress, through the health that we are currently experiencing, and just learning to give it a name of what we're going through. And that helps us better identify, it helps us better take eight or control may not be the right word, but just gain greater agency of just knowing like, oh yeah, this is the thing that is happening right now. And you know, Jeff and Beth both gave specific names to theirs that are that are maybe different than their own, or maybe you uh, want uh, want a name that is very similar to yours, as you know, as Beth says, with Coach Beth and Little Bethy, whatever it might be. I think just the idea of naming is just very powerful. I think the other thing is just this analogy that I was thinking about with it and why it's so important for us to deal with with all of these things and how i thought about it is that if we don't deal with these things it's a little bit like walking through a minefield and sometimes you're safe and sometimes things get set off that you weren't planning for them and there's chaos and there's confusion and there's just destruction in the wake of it and we just weren't prepared for it, but it happened anyway. But we can decide that we are going to proactively look for those things in our lives through using different tools, such as something like a, a like a lie detector, or not a lie detector, a mind detector. And we can be proactive about it, of looking at all of the different things and looking around the areas and investigating them to figure out, oh, that's that's a sensitive area that I have. Oh, that's a wounded area that I have. And paying attention to our emotions and our feelings and everything that we're experiencing in that. And just realizing that there are going to be times to wherever we accidentally do step on something, but they will be fewer and, and far, far less they can be fewer and far less damaging if we choose to proactively do the work instead of reactively trying to recover from the damage of it because sometimes it is just too late in that. So those are a couple of things that I'm thinking about of just the importance of limiting the damage, how we're able to limit the damage through doing the proactive work of doing our own emotional and spiritual and mental uh, health work and the importance of naming as well. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to keep up with all the things that are happening on the Learner's Corner, one of the best ways to do that is by subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find in the show notes where I give you all the things that I'm thinking about and all of the things that I am learning from as well, each and every single week. Now, I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Beth and Jeff McCord for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.